Hey guys, guess what? 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 <laughs> it's another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. And I, well, by gosh, it is. <laughs> I'm Sailor, and I created a petition to make Nickelback retire. Yes. <laughs> oh, that Sign took it. way too long to get that petition out. <laughs> Change.org, everyone. Look I'm it up. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, oh, are we, what, what are we doing here? Jake, what are we what are we doing? Um, well, we are on Metallica part trace. <laughs> That's Spanish for three. <laughs> You're no, no shit. <laughs> I think I meant what the fuck do we do on this show? <laughs> oh, well, on some episodes, maybe typically is what I've said in the past. We take two albums from one band and battle them against each other. We're not freaking doing that tonight, are we? <laughs> nope, we are not. I am sorry to disappoint you. But we won't be disappointing our listeners, hopefully, because once again, one of my favorite subjects, other than talking about whiskey, is part three, or trace, <laughs> as Jake said with such a beautiful accent, of our Metallica series. Which was supposed to be only a three-part show, but obviously it's going to be longer. So mm-hmm. um, if you don't want to listen to us talk about Metallica again, well, screw you, buddy. We're doing it. Apparently you don't like metal. And yep. I'm a grown-up and I do what I want. Yes. Um, as I explain on each show during the series, Metallica is the reason that this entire podcast in all of its glory exists. It's the reason I know these dudes with me tonight. It's the topic that started everything. So we're going to continue the series by talking about the album and justice for all. And hey, Jake, before we get into this discussion, before we talk about whiskey, we should definitely say hi to our better half, Matt and Ed. What's up, dudes? What up, hey, guys? Hey, what's up? Going? So apparently, if you if you love this podcast, then you should thank Metallica. And if you hate it, just blame Lars. There you go. Yes, fuck you, <laughs> Just Lars. like our host. <laughs> oh, boy. Everything. All of it. Like, I'm eating popcorn right now. I'll try to remember to mute my microphone when I take bites. But it's supposed to have fucking butter on it, and it doesn't have butter. And do you know whose fault that is? Do you know? Whose fault? Whose fault? Thanks, Lars. 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 Thanks a lot, Lars. <laughs> Bless America, Lars. Well, we are whiskey nerds on this show, and we do love to drink. But uh, this is probably take five of me telling you about how much we love whiskey on this show, and do love to talk about it. Um, tonight, uh, we are into the new year, and I would love to hear what you guys are thinking about your favorite bottle at the moment. Ed? Well, Jake, since I know on some of our previous episodes you have educated us on the whiskey that is Four Roses, I actually went out and bought myself a bottle of Four Roses. All right. Starting out with the yellow label here, um, as everyone refers to it, and sampling that tonight. It is a, I believe it's a blend of all their... Um, yeast strains, all correct? Ten. All ten recipes. All ten. Ten recipes. Um, all into one beautiful package and proofed down to 40%. Uh, 
So 80 proof, not not very high. In fact, about that's about as low as you can get and still be considered a bourbon, but pretty tasty overall, I'd say. Mm. Tasty indeed. Matt? Uh, I will go last because I am doing awesome. the whiskey. You should going... go last since you're doing the whiskey I should go last because I'm doing the whiskey segment, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Jeez. I don't want to give anything away. Matt, just go last since you're doing the whiskey segment. I'm glad I thought of that. All right, go so ahead, Sailor. Oh, all right. Sailor. So, Okay, um, so, okay, everybody know, well, if you follow me and know me, you know I'm a huge Jefferson's fan. Um, I, I'm i in love with Trey Zoller's mind. <laughs> See what I did there? Sure. Um, Jefferson's chef colla- Chef's Collaboration, just, uh, batch two, just came out recently. Yeah. And I tried Ooh. it, and... Um, it was really interesting. I fell in love with it. I think it, I thought the first time I tried it was better than batch one. Um, and so I got home and I was texting our friend, Lil Dab, Chrissy Martin, Miss Whiskey Sommelier. And um, she's a huge fan of the Chef Collab. And we were uh, exchanging notes and she was like, huh, that's so funny because she got the opposite of what I got. We were both like, this is why we love bourbon. So interesting. So um, I tasted at the at uh, a bar that I do tastings at, and I call them up. I'm like, I'm gonna need to take that bottle with me for a minute. I'm gonna need, huh. I'm need to take some samples home, and I gotta do a fresh tasting because I was eating when I drank it, and that can absolutely affect flavor. So I said, I'm gonna do a clean tasting, cleanse my palate the next day, do it fresh. I got the same thing. So I don't know. I'm absolutely in love with it. I I thought it was like just really powerful floral notes. Um, <clears throat> I thought the pepper and the finish was so perfect. I did get a bit of that mintiness, but I really liked it because I got it right off the the sweetness and the floral. I mean, the floral was all over the nose. I just thought, it, I just think it's fantastic. So I'm I'm big fan and really excited to go out and try, hopefully, to snatch a couple of bottles, which is probably not going to happen. I'll be probably lucky to get one. Did I see uh, on your Instagram that you're doing some uh, some work with Jefferson's these days? Um, well, I've done several Jefferson's tastings independently for some local um, bars and restaurants here. But now I am also an ambassador. Um, yeah. I think I'm number 59 or something like that of the first batch of them. And uh, yeah, so I have a little nifty coin i can take with me and got a beautiful awesome. packet, some cards and it's a huge privilege um i really uh am a huge lover of uh i said huge like five times of trey <laughs> approach and his and being a master blender and his um approach of ingenuity um i've already been drinking and i'm still sick guys <laughs> But but have you met him in person? Go fuck yourself, Matthew. <laughs> I love you, but fuck yourself. Not yet, but it will happen. So twice. Just, twice. Are you an ambassador, Matthew? Are you but an ambassador? I'm not, but hey. I've met him twice. Zip. Zip it. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, for me, wrap, wrapping up the year and coming into this year, uh, one of the bottles and i'll say uh that i'm really into are the russell's reserve single barrel uh store picks it uh 
I think if you listen or follow me on Instagram that you know that I love store picks. I love the Four Roses picks. I love a lot of them. But these Russell's ones, I'm, I'm drinking one now. And, I mean, it is just phenomenal. It's like eating caramel corn. It's delicious. Not like that crappy popcorn that Sailor's eating. <laughs> Buttery lies. This is caramelly deliciousness. Tastes like lies and deceit. <laughs> no, this one tastes like straight up deliciousness. I was referring to Sailor's popcorn, oh. but whatever. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> it is when I chew on it. That's good audio. <laughs> well, Matt. <laughs> yeah, Matt. How you doing over there, buddy? What are you? I am doing well. Drinking and well prepared to talk about. So that brings us to this week's whiskey segment. So, yes, for today's whiskey segment, um, when I think of the album Justice for All, I don't just think about the complex arrangements, the great lyrics of Mr. James Hetfield, or the killer riffs of Mr. James Hetfield. I also think about the themes at play. So what themes are we talking about? We're talking about censorship, war, legal injustice, mental health. In many ways, I feel like this album is almost a call to arms against these topics. A rebellion, if you will. For this whiskey segment, I chose Rebel Yell, Small Batch Reserve. Guys, this bottle is twenty Ooh. this got this bottle is twenty-eight bucks retail. Go and pick it up. Uh, I will say the Rebel Yell, uh, the recipe itself, uh, dates back to the famed Stitzel Weller Distillery, of course, yes, of course, famously known for all those, you know, those high-end weeded bourbons that uh, us knuckleheads all try to locate, you know, come first week of October, you know. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say this particular whiskey, the nose on this bad boy is uh, deep caramel, a little milk chocolate, some butterscotch with some actual grassy undertones, a lot of pungent vanilla. Um, the nose itself translates beautifully to the palate with caramel and vanilla leading the charge. At first, the mouth feels a bit thin and it runs hot at first, but given some time, you get nice charred oak as well. And even a hint of graham cracker, which with the milk chocolate kind of makes like a s'more. Very good stuff. Um, I will say, you know, connecting the two at the time, uh, I don't think, uh, Mr. Weller could have ever envisioned how sought after his weeded recipe and uh, the great bourbons it produced would become today. He was at the forefront of greatness. Uh, the trajectory of brands such as Pappy Weller, as we know it, into the top tra- uh, the top stratosphere of the bourbon world, of the bourbon world, I'm sure at the time was not foreseen. Uh, I will say the album we're talking about today, and Justice for All. It was also at the forefront of greatness. Uh, if you asked any of the four members of the band uh, at the time, do you think that within three years, every household in America 
would know who you are and you would be the biggest metal band of all time, they probably would have scoffed at you at best, but most likely told you to fuck off. (laughs) Uh, Back then, they still had a shred of that rebelliousness left inside of them. Uh, So, you know, both Rebel Yell and Injustice for All the Album, they're both stepping stones to greater success. Uh, And that's this week's Whiskey segment. Well, thank you so much for that, Matt. Yeah. That was delightful. I have to. Uh, thank. I have the uh, the Rebel Yell tenure, but I do not have the small batch. And from your description, I think I might go pick up a bottle. Uh, pick it up because at twenty eight bucks, uh, it's a very, very, <laughs> very good buy. Yep. Very hard to beat. Well, Sailor, do you have some uh, rock and metal news for us to get started? Keeping with our topic of the past few weeks, remember how, I think it was a couple of shows ago, we talked about how um, Dave Mustaine is all over the internets and um, interviews talking about another Big Four tour, right? Oh, Dave. Yeah. Well, now Kirk Hammett has gotten involved in the discussion. And wait, 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 wait. Nobody has a Dave Mustaine impression? I don't. Nothing. What? You need a Dave Mustaine impression? Thank you very much. Now we can continue. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, Kirk... The has... show is known for our great impressions, it, right? It is, yes. That's what makes us famous. I mean, I think the only impression I can do is the puking emoji. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Kirk is saying, no way. This is literally what he said. Slayer is on their last orbit. Ouch. And Metallica just won't do it. It seems he went on to make a crack about being the big one of the big four as well. And that set off Mustaine like a fart in a church. (laughs) (laughs) So. Or like the truth to somebody (laughs) who was in denial. (laughs) Dave could not keep his mouth shut. So he's saying there is a new big four now, and it will be Megadeth, Anthrax, Testament, and Exodus. Okay. I have a feeling the story is not over yet, so stay tuned. I can tell you Dave Mustaine's big four can walk right off a cliff in my mind. But but I would see that show. I'm the, Matt, we'll go together. Yes. I'm right there with you, but still yep. fuck Dave Mustaine. Whatever, you know. Okay. So... In strange news, recently Ozzy was interviewed about his upcoming last tour, which I truly believe is going to be his last tour, because I'm pretty sure this poor guy has been trying to retire for the last 20 years, and someone who might be named Sharon, asshole, has been forcing him to prop himself up on the stage. and Sharon! (laughs) Thank you, Ed. So anyway... Ed, Ed who? That was Ozzy. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Ozzy. So anyway, he was asked, I think rather rudely, wait till you see where I'm going with this, about hologram tours. <laughs> the interviewer asked him what he thought about them, and he stated that he's not a fan, and he also thinks that Prince would have hated the idea as well. 
And he went on to say that if he's dead, he's got no control over it. And then he has the best quote ever. I'm the motherfucking prince. He didn't say motherfucking. He said fucking. (laughs) Motherfucking sounds better. But I'm the fucking prince of darkness. I'll haunt (laughs) you. Guess who would go against his wishes and do a hologram tour of him? Let's just take a guess. Who do you think? Hmm. Ozzy, Ozzy, who do you think? Yeah, Ozzy. Oh, oh, it'd be Sharon. (laughs) (laughs) That bitch would stuff her dead husband's body and prop it up on stage and mic that shit. I'm telling you. With like a bat in his mouth. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Just for for full on marketing. (laughs) It would turn into a bar show in like 15 minutes. Yes. Goodness. So... So basically what oh, he's, so shoot. the reason why I said I thought it was rude of the interviewer to ask is he asked it with such an assumption that Ozzy's about to die. This <laughs> 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 is really thoughtless, but you know, Ozzy rolled with it. So, you know, good to know that he does not want to be a hologram touring guy after he's dead. So I, I feel like there's another petition in the works in the future. So in a current in a current events uh, mode, did you guys see? Because you mentioned Prince, did you guys see the halftime, the Super Bowl halftime show that just happened with uh, yes. the performance when they when Justin Timberlake did the I saw the duet saw the with replay. the hologram Prince. I will say that was the only good part of the whole show. I you know what I Matt I I kind of feel you there. I mean, I, Prince can't be there, but. Had Prince still been alive, he would have been doing that halftime show. To, to, in my opinion, yeah. Prince did the best halftime show ever, ever, ever. in the rain, playing ever. Purple Rain. It yes, and if you best. haven't, if you haven't answered the poll oh, question man. I put up before the Super Bowl, please go answer it. Who had the best halftime show? Oh, yes. How did I miss that? Well, you didn't miss that. It was a uh, Prince or. Um, Tom Petty or The Who with the three options. Oh, and, and, and Pr- Tom and Pr- Petty did a really good set that. Nah, I think cool. what you said, you said but yourself Prince, the best. Prince, Prince, yeah. Prince is the best. By far, yeah. yeah. Purple yeah, Rain was, in the was, Rain was the I didn't, I didn't, yeah. I didn't personally have a problem with the hologram because it was, it wasn't like the whole show was a hologram. It was just that one part of that one song. They didn't overdo it. But apparently a lot of people are in an uproar about it. No, I don't like it. No. Well, it wasn't even really a hologram. It was just a projection of him up on a piece of cloth. I think that's what a hologram is, Ed. Um, <laughs> well. <laughs> but you know, I've, co- I've come to be this. If that's <laughs> what you want to believe, Jake, <laughs> then good I for mean, you. I mean, I don't listen to tech news, but. I uh, guess. fuck's sake. All right, oh, moving yeah. on. Moving yeah. on to other news so we can get through this shit for a pass out drunk. In a recent interview with Full Metal Jacket. Former Pantera frontman Philip Anselmo spoke about a Pantera reunion. This makes me so excited. Who's with me? Matt, I knew. Not, it without, not without Dimebag. No, yeah. Uh, well, can't do it, man. We'll talk about that later. So, I think, yeah. He said there are. Pantera is a great car. <laughs> what? He said, might as well said it was a good train because it just derailed it. Hey, <laughs> you guys are all derailing it. 
Anyway, he said there are a lot of albums and projects that he still wants to do. And in his mind, Pantera is still a part of that. He basically ended the interview by saying, if the fans want it, then I'm in. He has spoken before about doing Pantera without Dimebag. And he has said, which I respect highly, it will definitely be a different Pantera. But Dimebag would have wanted them to continue if that's what the fans would have wanted. And I have met Dimebag. I actually met him quite a few times. I have a weird, had a weird connection with him, but mm. not, not with him, to him. That was not correct. Um, oh, <laughs> do tell. Did it have something to do with a dime bag? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, no not what I, that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> it was all business. Thank you very much, dirty motherfuckers. It was business. Anyway, just cut this out, please. So dime bag. Oh, no, this has to stay in. No, this is not the game. <laughs> So that was totally bad off the record. Anyway. You can count all you want. It's staying in. Fuck off, Jake. (laughs) So I've met Dimebag Daryl several times. Um, I knew him just a little bit. And uh, I think anyone that has even ever just interviewed him would know that he absolutely would have wanted the band to continue. And he absolutely would have wanted... you know, his fans to have Pantera continue if that's what they wanted. So I think, of course, with any band that loses such an integral member, it it seems impossible to to go on. But I think you can if you do it the right way and you do it in a respectful way and with the understanding that, of course, you know, without having Dimebag, it's going to be a different Pantera. But I still think it can be Pantera. So I'm all for this. I'm a big, I'm I'm in, you know, I support this completely. And I, I like um, you know, the way he phrased it as well and his attitude towards it. So I'm actually excited and hoping for it. So I, I think I would be more apt to appreciate. Like, so with Metallica being our topic, that's a band that lost, you know, tragically lost an integral member. And then, but it was right in the heat of things. They moved on <clears throat> and continued, excuse me. But with Pantera, when we're talking years after they had broken up, years after you know Dimebag tragically died that's where i think i have more of a problem that it seems more like a money grab reunion tour more than let's keep the band going kind of thing i don't think so i think sometimes it's it's a reflective time it's been a long time you know i could see that i could see that i I don't think so i think it's fair enough i don't ever i've never saw those guys as money grabbers you know i think i mean and Philip Anselmo on his own is, I think he does quite well by himself. You know, I mean, he's his own entity and has his own celebrity himself, but I think it's kind of the right time. I think sometimes, you know, you need a good 10 or 20 years and you get new fans, fans that revisit, you know, and you, and you want to, I don't know, you kind of want to revive that. I, I get it. I get I know, it. It's, if, you know, for me, it's the way he died. It's just, there are some things that are untouchable for me. And, you know, there are some things that happen by by accident. And that I, that's really tough for me. It would be, it would be tough for me to go see them in a reunion tour without him knowing yeah. what happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that. But that's a subject for another show. I was going to say. Yes. But it's it's a lot more say. difficult a conversation than talking about, you know, Randy Rose dying in the plane crash because he was 
on drugs, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Is it? It is. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll save that for. Yeah, we will save it. Our Pantera discussion. But before we end the music news for the week, don't forget to sign my Nickelback petition. Damn it. We have yes. to this happen. Change.org. We, I have, I, I posted it in our Facebook group and I, did I post it on our Instagram? I think I did. If not, yes. I'll post it again. Please, or just go on change.org and search Nickelback. It's probably the only petition. It's <laughs> um, amazing <laughs> that the damn band retire because nobody wants to see them anymore or hear them anymore. Sign it. Thank you. I'm Sailor. Out. Wow. All right. Well, uh, let's get to the topic at hand, which is And Justice for All. Metallica's oh, fourth. Yeah studio album many i would be in that many would say a total game changer for metallica start off the discussion as we do with a little bit of a timeline just to remind us where we were at when we left off last week so uh last week we left off with uh master of puppets coming out being released and the success of that album so and justice for all is metallica's fourth studio album as jake said it was released in august of 1988 and this is the first studio album very sadly without bassist cliff burton and the first album with Jason Newstead in his place. Sort of. We'll get into that later. Anyway, this album was recorded in the one-on-one recording studios in L.A. It's noted by many critics and fans for its sterile production, which producer Fleming Rasmussen said was due to his own absence during the mixing of this album. I would have to agree with them. We'll discuss that later, too. Another Metallica album that was critically acclaimed and actually had their first music video, which won them a Grammy. Um, And it was their best-selling album at the time, and the first metal album to achieve chart success, peaking at number six on the Billboard 200. Again, for those of you that are younger, I cannot underline enough what a massive thing that was. Absolutely massive. For something to go from the underground something you had to hide from your parents, something that got no attention in the mainstream to peak at number six was just mind-blowing at the time. So Rasmussen, who was Metallica's producer on their previous albums, was initially unavailable when they planned the recording of this album. So they had to look elsewhere. And the band looked to Mike Klink, who had produced Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, which was another massive hit. But things did not work out as planned. And it's really kind of hazy and unclear why. And I I remember reading some things um, after the album came out. I have dug in as much as I can find on the internet and in interviews. And, you know, one of the things with Lars is that he kind of has a big mouth and he's a little bit boasty. So um, it's tough to really know exactly what happened, but this is what I can tell you from the majority of things that I have read is uh, Ulrich called Rasmussen after a few weeks of recording with Mike Clink to tell him that the band was really unhappy with Clink's work and really unhappy with the way things were coming out. 
So um, Rasmussen said, all right, listen, send me some rough mixes for the album and I'll listen to them and I'll come over and I'll help you guys out because he was free again, freed up from his last project. So they did. And um, he listened, he got them right before he left and he listened to the rough mixes on his flight (laughs) to LA. And apparently as the story goes, he arrives at the studio and fires Clink immediately. So, <laughs> so Metallica's process of recording at this point was really, they had their own way of doing things. Um, I'm not going to get into the technicality of how they did it. Um, everyone can read that on their own, but let's just say that it was very new to Jason Newstead. Um, he came from Flotsam and Jetsam. He was used to a little bit more of a traditional way of recording And I'm going to speculate here. I think he was feeling like an outsider, which is very understandable. Um, But the way that the album went down, you you just can't walk away from this saying it was fair to him. He had to record his parts separately with the assistant engineer present and nobody else. So although the band, the whole band was recording in one room, and even though they were tracked separately, they were together together. Jason Newstead was the only one that recorded in that method, which was very strange for him, of course. Um, Also, Newstead's parts were at the same audio frequency of Hetfield's, and Jason said it created a battle um, for the same frequency, thus making the bass parts sound inaudible. So Steve Thompson is the guy who mixed the album. It was not Rasmussen's. Remember, he was not there. And he claimed that it was Lars, of course, he did. And of course, it was Lars, who knows, who was responsible for the bass issues. Um, he said that he wanted to be dismissed from the project after hearing Lars' idea before they even started mixing, but Lars wouldn't let him leave. So Thompson claims that he was un, uh, he has unfairly received criticism for the, quote, misrepresentation of the bass on the album. And tough to know who's really responsible there, but it was certainly a shitty thing. It's it's definitely hard for me to believe that um, the band didn't know what the fuck was going on when he had to record separately. So um, the album is released again to huge critical acclaim. As I mentioned, it was a hit right out from the gate and literally changed everything for this band for the rest of their lives, period. Well, to that to that point of the. with with Thompson, the sound engineer, um, I listened to an interview with Michael Wagner, who uh, or Wagner or whatever, he's uh, I think from Sweden or something like that, somewhere over there. <laughs> Anyways, he was uh, he was one of the engineers on uh, on Master of Puppets, and I mean he's world renowned. He's done just tons of albums, hit albums, but he also discussed that in post-production that Lars and James would come in to the engineering and they would ask for the guitars to be cranked way up for the drums to be cranked way up. And when the engineers would say, well, what about, you know, what about the bass? Well, you know, F him, he's not here to, he's not here to, to talk. So just leave him. I mean, that that's kind of how they did it. So, when two different engineers are saying the same thing, I have to kind of believe that's just how they rolled. I agree. Yeah. I, I think, you know, at, at this point, I think it was all the band, um, you know, they're at this point where they're recording the album, it's late 87, 88. 
Um, they're still grieving from what happened. You know, these are guys that are 23, 24, 25 years old. Um, maybe they don't know how to grieve. You know, they write this very angry, aggressive album. Um, and they're looking for a scapegoat. And I think they found one in their new bass player. Uh, and they wouldn't come out and say it. You know, they want they want him in the public eye to feel like a member of the band. But I think in private, uh, I think that this whole thing with the recording and how the album sounded, um, it was, it was the band, you know, they, they were pissed. They were angry. Um, maybe they didn't know how to feel at the time. And, uh, you know, Jason got the brunt of it, unfortunately. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I think someone along the line said something like, great art comes from pain or something along those lines. And this, I, I, that has to be the case here because mm-hmm. this album, the writing, the compo- the composition on this album was just, to me, is just out of this world. Um, and, you know, I think we can, we all agreed that Master of Puppets pretty much established Metallica as the world's greatest thrash slash metal band. And if that's the case, then... And Justice for All pretty much just seals the deal, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Matt, Matt brought up uh, in his whiskey segment the, the topics that they're dealing with on this album. And, uh, um, you know, we have the benefit as we go back and listen to it. Um, this is kind of the first album. Well, not kind of. This is the first album where they have a music video. Mm-hmm. So we not only get to hear what they're thinking as they're writing, but we get to watch, you know, watch them express what they're thinking in the video for one. And, uh, you know, this is definitely a situation where if uh, if you haven't ever watched the video, go watch it on YouTube, watch the unedited version. It's absolutely it'll change the song forever for you. Um, But you know, we get to experience it differently now than we did then, um, which is really cool. But yeah, definitely the the tones and the the topics are are deaf. Yeah, man, they're they're strong. I think so. For me, this album I have a very very difficult time with. Um, it, it's like I'm I'm on tippy toes on the edge of a blade. Because I remember, I, I remember everything about the moment I first heard it. I mean, after coming off of Master of Puppets, the expectations that we had for this album was they almost shouldn't have been able to exceed our expectations. You know, we thought, oh, my God, how do you top Master of Puppets? You know, mm-hmm. um, we knew that Cliff wasn't going to be there, obviously. But I, I think, you know, certainly as, as a young, I was a teenager at the time, did I really understand what that was going to mean musically? No, absolutely not. Um, did I understand what they were going through as people, as young kids who had lost someone in such a horrific, tragic way, a brother? You know, no, of course, I, I you can think you know, but you, you don't know. Um, I, I do remember, though, as as 
I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, as uneducated as I was at the time, I do remember sitting there and going through very mixed emotions. We were literally at a table all together. It was four of my other friends and we just sat there and listened to it and didn't speak through the whole fucking thing. And I remember thinking, one, it sounded too clean. I didn't know how else to describe it at the time. It just sounded like so professional, you know, like such a polished album in a way, which was weird, you know, for a band like Metallica. Um, But it was, and it was angry. And I, I loved that because to me, thrash should be angry and heavy and fierce and, you know, but there should be rawness too. But there, I, there's a but through everything. I mean, there was, it, it's missing something. That's all I could think is it's missing something. Yeah. There's something missing through everything. Bass. It, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough album to classify because right. like, to, me, to me, it's in its own pocket of time. It, you know it, is. it is. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It has nothing to do with Master of Puppets and has nothing to do with the Black Album. Yeah. And that's why I always say, I always say, I was in love with Metallica before Justice. Always. And I will sometimes say, Justice, I'll include it with all the albums before it, and sometimes I won't. It really just depends on how I'm feeling. Because if I'm, if I'm going to separate what happens, mm-hmm. so I should, because we're in this time, right? I'm going to pretend like the Black Album hasn't happened. So I'm just going to speak on my feeling and that moment of injustice being unwrapped and listening to it for the first time. We knew something was missing. We dismissed it, though, being huge Metallica fans. Mm. It's what you do when you love a band. You, you're very forgiving, of course. And not that we could connect. Oh, they just lost somebody. Not any of that. I don't think any of us are that mature enough yet. But we dismissed it because we and we loved the album. I'm not going to say I didn't love the album. I've listened to it eight gabillion fucking times. It's a great album. Is it as great as Master of Puppets? I don't know how to say yes. I don't think they to me, it is a different band. This is when it all begins to unravel for me. I think in Justice for All, they lost themselves completely. I think they lost who they were as a band, who they became in Puppets, that amazing synergy that they had. They lost it. That magic was gone. It wasn't that Cliff was the only magic, because, of course, Lars and James and Kirk were are, were amazing, and, and they were, you know certainly Metallica as well. But there was, I think they needed to all be together for that magic. I think the amazingness that happened in this album, Injustice, was from the pain. It was from the grieving. It was from the anger and the desperation. And that absolutely came through. But they also, it was very clear that they received a budget like they had never had. They were receiving things that they had never had before. The amount of time that they could spend, the amount of things you're given as a band when you hit this period, this point in your career, will change you or it won't. And and there are bands that it didn't change them. With this band, it did. 
But now we can, because we're talking about justice, let's talk about Cliff not being there. Justice would not have happened like this with Cliff. It would not be like this at all. And I don't think the band would have changed. I don't think this would be the album that unraveled it all. The album that ended them as a thrash band. I, I, I don't believe that at all. I believe they would have made several more amazing albums that could at least match puppets. I think the loss of Cliff is so present in this album and they tried so hard to still be Metallica. In my opinion, they should have changed their name and a different band after this. This is the end of Metallica. This is where all of my anger and all of my sadness, this is where it all goes. They were my favorite band of any period, hands down. I was obsessed with them for years. This is when it ends for me. So this album is mourning for me as well. This album is all about loss for me as well, because this was the end of my favorite band. I, I couldn't disagree more, to be honest. Uh, <clears throat> I, I think when... I think when you look at the fact how how much they looked up to Cliff and what his musical tastes were, that they were going to move away from <clears throat> thrash. Period. With you know, with or without Cliff, I think that they were going to. I think had had they never met Cliff, had they you know stuck with Johnny Toughnuts as their bass player, pre Cliff, <laughs> Ron McGovney, <laughs> then I think they would have stayed a thrash band and I think they would have, you know, just been another, you know, thrash band. They would have been the, probably the best thrash band, but they would have just been another thrash band. They would have never become the biggest metal band in history. They would have just been another thrash band. I think the fact it was the influence that Cliff had on Lars and James that brought them to the point of, excuse me, making, an album like Master of Puppets, and then making an album like this. But then furthermore, you know, this album, Injustice, is, I mean, there's a lot of anger on here. There for sure is a lot of venting and anger. But then as they move forward into the Black album, that's that album to me is the one where I say, this is absolutely an album that I think Cliff would have loved to have done because it is so melodic. And that we'll talk about that you know, down the road, but <clears throat> excuse me, to your point, I, I definitely, I absolutely think they would have moved forward and continued to evolve because they were young men when they started and they became men and they were, they were growing. They, they started off banging their heads and then they moved on to the point at which they became great musicians. And well, that to me, that to me is how they evolved. Okay. But my well, question yeah. for you is why does it, here, here's the problem, and this is every argument I have about Metallica. Why do you assume that growth and maturity and experience means you can't be thrash anymore? Why, why does it mean that? Because, well, to me, when I listen to your what, what, what thrash 
fans tell me is traditional thrash is that you know that Slayer sound, and all I hear is just bang 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 bang. It's just the same repetitive thing, song after song after song. There's no evolution. There's no there's no mixing it up. There's no anything. It's just the same thing over and over. Whereas, you know, if you grow as a person, for instance, you change in your life. You start to you know, maybe read some other things. You learn. You start. You move on from the things you were liked as a child. Not that you leave them behind, but you learn other things too. And I think that's what happened with Metallica. Is they grew up. No, I disagree with you completely. I mean, so, I can name yeah. twenty bands that have been around for thirty. Are those twenty years? bands the greatest metal, the largest selling greatest metal band in history? They're not because no. they didn't evolve. No, let's talk about any band in any genre. If your argument is that, your argument, what you're saying is that if you grow and evolve, your music changes. That's what you're saying. Look at the Beatles. Look at Led Zeppelin. All of their music changed, and they grew and they evolved as they became better musicians. And as the times changed, they changed with the times. Uh, It's a staple of the greatest bands in history. Still stayed true to being Led Zeppelin to their sound. Much no. more than Metallica did, absolutely. No. Metallica changed. I mean, the, the, their departure is mind blowing, and the fact that they're the large—I mean, the fact that they have the notoriety that they have, and the sales that they have, and the following that they have—is because of their departure. Make no mistake about that. If they had continued on in their trajectory of being a thrash band, and they did it better than anybody, that's why they're Metallica. So I understand your point about Slayer, but let's not use just Slayer as an example. Metallica was a thrash band for Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets. For and Kill 'Em All. For Kill 'Em All was their all one thrash album that they put out. All it was the all the other albums are metal albums no, with not. with they some are. thrash songs. Wait, yeah, I, I will I will sim- <laughs> I will simplify this. I will simplify it. Jake, do you agree that this album is an aggressive album. Absolutely. Okay. So but it's I'll, also beautifully melodic. Okay, so I'll ask you how much of that aggression that hasn't been seen on their other three albums previous has to do with their bass player dying. A lot, bro. Um, I don't necessarily think a lot. I think a lot of it had to do with how how James was viewing the world through the lens that he was looking through. He was looking at things that were happening at the time. I mean, it's not like ride the lightning or master of puppets didn't have aggressive lyrics too. They definitely did. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that, that this album is aggressive because cliff died. I think that, that they were somewhat, angry and you know haze the shit out of day or uh jason um, out of jason newstead just because because they were angry yeah but i don't i think part a large part of that is that they didn't know how to deal with they could they could say one thing but i think in reality they had no idea how to deal with what they were handed of the tragedy that happened in front of their eyes as 23 24 year old kids man yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah, and that's that's part of what I mean by he's viewing the world through his lens, and part of his lens is that you know his 
best one of his best friends just died. So he's certainly going to maybe see an angrier side of things. I, I mean, if you look at the tone of the songs, he's definitely looking more as an uh, you know aggressive, uh, angry young man. But it's not like it's the first time of that, though. No, it, it isn't, but I think the point that you're missing is that the departure of this band, you can't say that it didn't happen with this album. It, this album is different and changed everything. For me, and, and a thrash is not about not being melodic or being good. You don't have to be a shitty musician or a, a one-trick I didn't punk. say that. That's not what thrash is. There's this, great musicians that play uh, thrash. There's also Injustice for sure. All is a thrash album as well. The the departure not even close. But you're <laughs> you're talking you're talking in terms of just it being a thrash album though. There's so many more layers to it than that though. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course it's, there are. That's yeah. that's where to me Metallica created their own they created what is actual metal. Not thrash, not this, not that, not death, not hardcore. They are the center of what is actual metal music. Do they have thrash songs? Sure. Thrash metal. They took it to another height. They established. That's why they're called one of the big four. They established. They were the, to me, they were the best of thrash. Were. They were the best of thrash. Everything changed with Injustice for All. They changed completely. I totally disagree that if Cliff were alive, I think the band would have continued on with the trajectory these guys loved playing thrash. They knew the direction they were going in. They were comfortable with it. They did it well. Cliff was able to spread his wings and have his own impression on the band and the sound. And I think it was such a great mix of everyone playing to their strengths. I believe that the band completely fell apart and they were lost without him. And that is how everything after Injustice for All happens. So this is the last real Metallica album for me. After this, yeah, for you. everything changes. <laughs> yeah, you have unique perspective here, Sailor. You're the only one out of the four of us who, who has been a Metallica fan from the very beginning, from, you know, from Kill 'Em All. None of yeah, us have that I, same experience. Well, but, was, but but that does that mean that you're listening to the songs as songs, or are you listening to the songs as experiences? Because nobody can argue your experience. No, I'm listening to them. I'm telling you what I, I mean. Felt. Anybody can pick up their discography and yeah. listen from their first album through their last album and well, get I the songs. I remember sitting at the table when it was released. We had just gotten the right, tape. That's an experience, no. and nobody can argue how you experience no, the music. That was me listening to it in the moment, without any of this perspective without any of this understanding, without knowing what was going to happen, and and without this much information. You just didn't have this much information about the band at hand. You couldn't right. push that part. And but they now we have that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what I'm saying to you is I'm speaking from that moment being a diehard Metallica fan from day one, seeing them live. I had already seen them live so many times. I had every <laughs> album, and feeling in that moment something had changed just sure. all of us were ju just felt something was different something changed and with we felt that way with master of puppets we we knew something was different but that was in a good way like holy 
fuck, this is amazing. Like so much had changed. There was so much growth and improvement. It was incredible. The sound was bigger than it had ever been. Um, but this, we couldn't put our finger on at the time. I mean, I'm not telling you that we sat there going, oh, well, this is the last Thrash album or the last Real Metal. <laughs> of course we didn't think that. I'm just telling you that we couldn't put our fingers on it at the time, but there we knew something was different. We knew something had changed. And at much later on, when it started, you know, articles were written about the whole bass thing and, you know, the bands talking about their mourning and all of that you started to put the pieces together a little bit more. And a lot of us just thought we would talk about it and say, you know what, they'll get it together for their next album. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll get over, you know, they'll have whatever is happening with their morning will be over or, or in a better place and they'll pull it together. And they did, you know, Jason will feel, and they did not they Jason did. feel a little bit more a part of the band and they will continue on picking up after master of puppets. But if you look at, if you take their discography from day one to Masters and then Injustice for All, it's a weird skip. And then if you take the Black album after that, what the fuck? That's a, like, exactly. See, so like, that's for why someone I'm, like you, yeah. for somebody like you that feels like that's where Metallica died, mm -hmm. for somebody like me, I look at Master of Puppets as the trajection of where Metallica be, finally became great. Well, commercial. They went, they went from, yeah. no, to me, like, sound-wise, ah. I can give a shit about how many albums they sold. When I listened from Master of Puppets through Load is my last album. Reload I can listen to, but when I listen from... It's the same album. From Well, yeah, it was supposed yeah, to be a double. Load and Reload. The two parts. Yeah. But it was the same Anyways, yeah. when I listen from... The trajectory in in order from Master of Puppets to Justice to Metallica to Load, I hear a band that's maturing and 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 coming into their own, and I love it. It's where they dropped off and tried to, you know, do some other things, uh, you know, Saint Anger and whatever that they, they that they lost me, but well, but other other yeah. people no, came see, on and loved it. So I, you know, hey. I agree with you, and I think it's because I had the same experience as you, Jake. I came in at Injustice for All. Injustice for All was my introduction to Metallica. Um, that kind of set the benchmark, set the expectations for the band from there for me. For me, I'm talking about, and same with you. And this is all comes back to personal experience. We're not saying that this is gospel, you know. This is just from our perspective. Um, and I totally respect Absolutely. Sailor's perspective. Um, and I even wonder if I would have a similar perspective if I had listened to them from the beginning. Maybe I would, and I wouldn't be able to enjoy them now. But I'm glad I didn't, so I can. Um, but, uh, yeah, for me, this is, this is the one Metallica album that I will consistently listen to from the first second to the last second almost every single time and enjoy it all the way through and for me there aren't too many albums out there that i can say that about yeah but yeah for me this is this is metallica's ultimate album uh, my favorite person i'm with you this is my favorite this is my favorite metallica album ed you don't feel like when you listen to master of puppets and then you go to Aunt justice you don't feel like there's something missing in justice honestly no 
Um, in fact, and when I listen to Injustice for All, uh, I'm sorry, when I listen to Master of Puppets, um, there are songs on there I just skip over, you know, because they just don't do it for me. Um, you know, there are some great songs on there, um, so I think some of their best. But as a album as a whole, for, for for me, it's just not not their greatest, even though it is a great album. So in in the previous episode, I said that I felt that Master of Puppets was Metallica's best album, but that it wasn't my favorite, that this is my favorite album. The reason why I think that Master of Puppets was their best album is because of the importance of it within that band, because I felt like it sent them into the trajectory to put on an album like this, that that to, it just in my experience, as well as now, far beyond that time of experience, it's still just, it, it talks to me. I love it. I love every second of it. I, I think it, I think the, I think the message that's within there, um, and we talked about this in the, in the Slayer episode, not to keep coming back on Slayer, but, um, one of the things that I kind of didn't like, and Matt, you and I talked about this was that I like some innuendo in lyrics mm-hmm. i like when because innuendo can leave things open to translation they can also lead to something that was relevant in 1988 7 still being relevant today because it's maybe not as straightforward and not to, i'm not saying that other lyrics and other songs aren't relevant today but i can still listen to this album and i still do and I still go on the same ride. It's still a blast. Uh, I just feel like... <laughs> I don't know. You, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the what I'm getting from you is that this album would have happened whether their bass player died or not. I don't, I don't think that's the case. No. I think that this would be a completely different... It would... It's not the same album if he doesn't no. pass away, dude. So different. I think it is because no, it's, yeah. it's the same no, no. two songwriters no. writing the, all of the songs. No, but the, I mean, are but you? They're manifesting. They're manifesting. Yeah. They want to. They want to admit it, dude. But they're manifesting how fucking pissed they are. But also, like the music yeah. influence and the. I mean, understand what Cliff did musically in Master of Puppets, like. Yes. Okay. Certainly, Lars and James were the controllers. Let's call them. But Cliff, the the difference with Master of Puppets was Cliff's um, influence on the musicality of the album, and that would have been present in Injustice for All. I don't think it would have been as angry. Certainly, it wouldn't have been. But I think it would have been. It would have been Master of Puppets better. That's what Injustice for All would have been. Had I think it, I think it would I think it would be, It'd be a Injustice for All better mixed. I think you'd have the same yeah, album anyway. with with more bass included in the final product. To it's, me, it's not just about the bass though. I mean, he had such an influence on the musicality overall. It would have just it would have been a very different album. It I would guess have we'll never know what it is. We'll, we'll never, never, know. never know. And I'm not saying that. We'll I never love know. I absolutely love this album, but it would have been very different in the whole 
could have been very different. No, I think could have been very different. Where have been? Could have been. Sticking to it. My fucking dry popcorn. All right. Well, it <laughs> seems like we're <laughs> Madam, we're kind of split down the you ready to split down the middle here. <laughs> we are. Listen, I love the album. I just I disagree with the origins. Could have yeah. been wow. of the album. It yes. Okay. <laughs> so I think we've pretty much um, beat that horse to death. So let's talk about I, whatever. That term. That's a. <laughs> Horrible, horrible term. That is so awful. I would want to beat a horse to death. Should we maybe kind of talk a little bit about the songs on the album or just kind of leave it at our argument of what album's better? Well, do you want to go for another <laughs> we're hour? Battle- we're not battling. Though. We apparently <laughs> since it's a not horse, Since so. it's not a battle episode. I don't know. We just there's killed some a really cool... Well, Clearly, really cool stuff that happened F-W. on this album. I, clearly, there are two of us for puppets and two of us <laughs> for justice. Well, yeah, but this is not a battle episode. What I'm saying, so yeah. we're trying to represent the beauty of this album. Well, yeah, there's always a battle between us. <laughs> but they did some really cool stuff musically on this album, right? I mean, right from the get go. If if nothing else, one thing you gotta love about Metallica is that they know how to frickin' pick a song to start an oh, album yeah. with, right? They Absolutely. always start an album right in your face, awesome. And with this one, they started off with a backwards playing guitar lead, which is freaking awesome. But it's still like the fourth best intro song on any of their albums, though. In your opinion. Okay. All right. <laughs> I would say to me this is this is probably why a big reason why this is my favorite album because I think this is their best intro song on any of their albums. I think Black uh-huh. and Harvester of Sorrow are the the two great songs on the album for sure. The rest yeah. my uh my if I had to pick two favorite songs so we can go around the horns be fun. My two favorite songs on the album are One and uh, Eye of the Beholder. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, Sailor, you don't like Dyer's Eve anymore. That's Talk about a thrashy song. Yeah, no, right? I do, I do but I, I, I do, but <laughs> this album is what it is. And it being what it is, I think Black and Harvester of Sorrow are the two best songs on the album. Uh, for me, um, Jake, I'm right with your One I think is probably my favorite Metallica song of all time on this album. It's mine. It's mine as well. It's just so yeah. iconic. It's so boring. It's such a and boring then you, song. A boring. How is it boring? It's the <laughs> one song that's not monotonous. That's no pun intended. It's the most not monotonous song. She's, she's like, oh, this is a nice song, honey. No, it's boring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, teach their own. <laughs> uh, I will say, I'll, I'll say, Harvester and um, Shortest Straw. Good. 
good picks. Hard, hard yeah. not to uh, hard not to argue with those picks. I think a couple uh, of signs. Yeah, those are great, <laughs> great songs. Well, are we gonna wrap this up? I will. Let's let's try this again. At that point. So, <laughs> what's everyone uh, into lately? Anything new they want to share with the rest of the crew and our listeners? Your mom. I'm starting a new <laughs> podcast called uh, Thrash and Not Thrash. <laughs> Check it out. How about you, Matt? What you been listening to? Well, uh, no podcasts lately, but I will say music-wise, uh, I've been kind of digging the like female-led uh, metal bands. Mm. So I uh, stumbled across a little band called Butcher Babies Butcher the other Babies. night. Uh, <laughs> fucking okay. awesome. Uh, another band called Huntress. Um, they have a song called... Uh, I want to fuck you to death. <laughs> yeah. A love song. A love oh, nice. song. Yes, Jake. A love song. Get ready for Valentine. But I'm not fucking joking. That's the name of their song. That's the top hit on iTunes. Um, you know, she's good, man. So check that out. All right. Jake. <laughs> well, uh, for me, going back through, uh, going back to these older Metallica albums has kind of pushed me to kind of go back through some of my favorite albums that I was listening to kind of at the same time I was listening to these albums and going back through some of the earlier Lamb of God albums and Pantera albums and, and just, you know, kind of not that I ever stopped listening, but I think you just don't listen as much as you used to, you know, before life happened. So you know, hey, go back through and listen to your old albums. Lots of fun. Sailor? Sailor? Yeah. So, I've been listening to a lot of Iron Maiden lately. I've been, like, going... I don't know what started it. Um, oh, I do, actually. There's this hilarious video, I don't know, like, YouTube shit, with um, Run to the Hills, and it's, like, cats and running i don't even know like it's hysterical and so it got stuck in my head and i'm like oh you know when you get an earworm you got to listen to the song they say and i'll get rid of it so it just started me on like a whole iron maiden spiral again so i've been going back and like listening to everything iron maiden and um and just i've just recently moved to which city usa salem massachusetts and i've been listening to a lot of local bands from the Salem area. So, uh, yeah. That's me. All right. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Edward? As for myself, I've been pretty busy. Um, I really haven't discovered anything new. So. <laughs> been listening to any, like, tech podcasts um, or anything? Actually, since you bring it up, <laughs> there is a, po- a video podcast I really like called Tech Thing. T-E-K Thing. <laughs> Thanks for that segue. <laughs> um, yeah. So to all of our remaining listeners, uh, <laughs> all five of you, yeah, <laughs> our uh, fellow metal rock and whiskey obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Please find us on Instagram at metal underscore rock underscore whiskey, 
Send us your love, your likes, and please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. Please feel free to do the same on our Facebook page. Search Metal Rock and Whiskey and ask to join to continue discussions. Participate in polls. You know how I feel about polls. And (laughs) sound off on the show. Uh, Find us on YouTube and please subscribe on iTunes. Give a review and please... Just don't be a dick. Just don't be a dick. Please just don't be a dick. Uh, give us that five star rating. Uh, we're good people. Please. Just please. Uh, and you can also follow us individually on Instagram. Yours truly at the whiskey obsessor. That is whiskey without the E. Don't need it. Uh, Ed. And they can also find me on Instagram at Bourbon Geek. And on Xbox Live, Bourbon Geek, the same. If they like to game. Jake? Tell you what. If you really like this show, check us out on Patreon. If you didn't like this show, listen to some other shows and then go to Patreon. Help us out. Even a buck. Hey, you know what? Tell your friends. Listen to the show. If everybody just throws in a buck or five, we can keep this show going. (laughs) Or give us money to go away. But we're going to keep going. Just skip that <laughs> cup of morning coffee. Just one morning. Just whatever you want to do. Just do it. Just one morning. Just yeah. one morning. You can find me on Instagram at bourbon.spartan. Sailor. Where did I find you people? <laughs> How did this happen? You love it. Hey, special thanks to Ed, who has to edit this episode, which is going to be a nightmare. <laughs> I better block out half a day nice. for this one. And- it's better than the first two times we yeah, tried. Yeah, this is better. Yes. Way better. Um, if you like me for some fucking reason, I don't know, because I say fuck a lot and fuck you, Lars, and I hate Lars. Secretly, I love him and I fucking hate him. That's how that works. You can find me at Sailor Retro on Instagram and Facebook. Tip your waitress. Ha <laughs> Jake. Oh, my glass is empty. You know what I want to do? I want to listen to some When Particles Collide. Yes. See ya. Later. Sayonara. Have you been listening to any, any puplets? Any what? <laughs> been drinking larceny and listening to puplets? <laughs> we have lost Sailor. Maybe with a maybe with a buck axe. <laughs> so what happens when you drink larceny? You just kill puplets with buck axes. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. All right. Continue. So, we want to just give a huge thanks to all of our listeners out there. <laughs> what the fuck just happened? Who's playing music on their phone? What the fuck? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Silence. All right. And I, we just want to give a huge thanks to all of our listeners out there. 
and ask you to please join us next week for part three of our Metallica series. Four. Part four of our Metallica it's... series. Fuck. <laughs> 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 I actually spit.